I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know, journalists, insiders, all of whom can break down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Listen now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide one true Trial by Content winner. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez, and I started covering pop culture on blogs before the age of podcasts came along, and I met up with these two to podcast about TV series like Game of Thrones, speculate about upcoming Marvel movies, and cover television from almost 20 years ago, like the ABC series Lost. I'm Joanna Robinson, feeling my age with that almost 20 years ago comment. Uh, you may know me from other Ringer shows like The Ringerverse or Prestige TV, occasionally on The Big Pick, etc., I'm I'm so happy to be part of the Ringer family, but Dave and Neil are sort of my OG pod brothers, so I'm so excited to be reunited with them here. And I'm Neil Miller, and I've been podcasting since before they really knew what that meant. I also founded a little website called Film School Rejects, and I'm the proprietor of a Twitter account called One Perfect Shot, which I'm told is still a six-episode docuseries on HBO Max. You can go stream it. It's fun. This week, we're going to live forever after we decide who is the best vampire to make us all vampires. Less bias or Morbius, aha, we're all suckers in this debate as we decide best vampire sire. But first, let's flash back to an episode where we definitely covered all the options and left nothing out. It was best final shot in movie history last week. How did we do, Joanna? Dave, I'm so excited to announce that you won. Yay! Hey! Hey! All right, so Dave last week picked uh, Planet of the Apes. I, Joanna Robinson, picked The Graduate. One of our listeners picked The Blair Witch Project, and Neil Miller picked a beautiful, beautiful shot from Moonlight. Uh, Dave won pretty handily. I came in second. Listener came in third. Neil came in uh, last. Triumphantly last. last. (laughs) Triumphantly in fourth. (laughs) We did get a lot of feedback from people saying, hey, what about The Godfather? Hey, what about Fight Club, et cetera? And, And as Dave was alluding to, that is the perfect opportunity for you, the listener, to submit your own ideas for our next debate. So we got a lot of great vampire submissions. I think we've got most, more submissions than ever this week. Trialbycontent at gmail.com is where you can put your listener submission. But to make sure we don't miss something that you care very passionately about, that is the best way to ensure that. We are talking about vampires this week because <laughs> a little movie called Morbius, ever heard of it? 17 or 16% on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, 
came out last week and and we wanted to talk about vampires, vampires who might bite us and vampires we might want to spend the rest of our lives with. Morbius is getting uh, pretty much raked over the coals. If you want to hear my long, long opinions about that, uh, you can turn it, tune into the House of Midnight episode of The Ringerverse. Uh, that should be up in your feeds as we speak. But before we get into talking about vampires and sires, et cetera, I want to ask you guys, Neil and Dave, a question that was hotly debated at a party I went to this weekend, a debate I might have kicked off. In your view, does a vampire have to be sexy, starting with Dave? Um, I see why vampires being sexy seems like a key part of like vampirism, especially since like historically it's the boogeyman that uh, stands in for people being bad sexual humans. Uh, throughout time and space, it sort of picks up from the werewolf in that fact, which maybe we'll talk about the those two later. Who knows? But no, I don't think a vampire needs to be sexy. I just think it's a bonus, especially in this week's debate, that you would uh, like to be around a vampire that maybe has a, a sexy personality. I think in general, though, what I would consider the biggest, I guess, circle to include most vampires is they have to feed off of humans. Whether that be blood, whether that be emotions, they're the the parasite for me, which isn't always sexy. Sometimes it's the opposite. Okay, Neil, what do you think? I definitely don't think that they need to be sexy, but there is something sort of inherently sexy about being an eternal person. And But I also think of like some of my favorite vampire movies of all time, like 30 Days of Night comes to mind. And Danny Houston is in that movie. He plays a great, scary, gnarly vampire. But there's nothing sexy about him. And I think that's okay. Um, they don't have to be sexy. And uh, they, could just, they could just be violent and uh, terrify you when there's no sun in Alaska. I think for me, it's so interesting, uh, Dave, that you bring up the boogeyman, because I was sort of looking into the history of vampirism for this question. And, um, you know, the vampire folklore story is one thing and then what we mostly understand as vampires now comes from Bram Stoker and everything that happened in the late 19th century in literature and so and feeding off of that that is I think where like the the super erotic sort of sexual vampire stuff comes from the idea of like you know biting and penetration and all that sort of stuff like that's where that comes from and so I don't know. I would argue that now a vampire has to have some kind of allure. This brings me back to Morbius, which is like Jared Leto, <laughs> canonically hot human being, if that's your taste. Uh, bat-faced vampire, not a sexy vampire. Matt Smith, somehow not a sexy vampire, because they put this sort of like bat-faced comic accurate CGI on them. And I think that's a mistake. I think you need to have allure, if not, you know, objective, like allure, seduction. That's part of vampirism, I think, as we understand it now. So mm -hmm. that's just my that's my hot take on that. Anything else that a vampire has to have? Or do you guys want to save that for the debate? Well, I feel like Neil's going to run down, especially what vampires need to have for this debate. All right, Neil. Hit us. All right. So let's do a little rules rundown. I guess the rules are simple for this one. You must choose one vampire from film or television to serve as your sire, which means they're going to turn you into a vampire, and your eternal companion. So you got to pick somebody you want to be with for a while. 
Before we get into the debate, we're going to give away a couple of uh, pre-game awards here. First, the category crown, which we've given out uh, several times so far. This one goes to Dracula, or as my favorite all-time comedian, Mitch Hedberg, would call him Dr. Acula. Uh, after Bram Stoker's book was illegally adapted to Nosferatu and then legally adapted into a stage play that eventually evolved into Universal's Dracula in 1931, the most well-known vampire of pop culture is really more about performances of a particular actor, not different iterations of the character Dracula. It's a tough call, but he gets the crown, even though he is not about to get a spot in this debate. So we, we consider Dracula to sort of be the, the peak of vampire popularity. But as we're about to talk about, maybe not the uh, sexiest pick. <laughs> we're also going to give away a category clown, and we've talked about him already. Category clown this week goes to Dr. Michael Morbius, who, as far as I understand, had killed the entire genre this past weekend by just releasing a movie that was well overdue. We're also going to give an honorable mention. This is to the entire cast of Twilight, who uh, I'm sorry to say, none of them are in any of the picks that you're about to hear discussed. Uh, But they do remain, to this day, a a very hot group of people who once played vampires. And I think if we really did some soul-searching, they would probably be a popular answer among the public of like, who do you want to have bite you? Especially now that uh, Robert Pattinson is also Batman. I feel like he would be pretty high on a lot of people's lists. Oh yeah. Batman always wins these polls. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly, Batman's not involved this time around, but you know, shout out to the cast of Twilight. All right. I think that means it's time for our opening statements. Each host gets one minute, starting with the person who won last week, which is me. So here we go. Choosing a vampire sire may seem like a very personal decision, but it's also a shared one between the original vampire and the person being turned. That's why for me, I'm going to select Lestat de Lioncourt from Anne Rice's interview with the vampire and the portrayal of the character by Tom Cruise in the 1994 film. That story and the movie follows Louis, the vampire sired by Lestat in the story, and provides the beginnings of a vampire mythology in that single film. Lestat is ultimately vain and self-obsessed, but the progeny of Lestat can actually benefit from this. He had fun hunting his prey regardless of the time period, and if you're going to be a bisexual dandy that sucks the blood of your victims (laughs) after putting them in a romantic trance, Lestat is the vampire having the best time with it. If you are sired by Lestat, he has given you a choice, one that he gives to Louis and Christian Slater in the film, and he will be part of you until you're driven mad by satiating bloodlust over the decades, or will be killed by a theater troupe of Parisian vampires, which, let's be honest, are two likely outcomes to anybody's life anyway. Beautiful. Well under time as well. (laughs) Love that. Bisexual dandy is going to be hard to beat, but I'll have a go. I won't waste too much of your time here because my my love for this particular vampire is is long true, but I I will just say really quickly, actually, I'll take my time to talk about some people I didn't pick. I almost picked Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston and Only Lovers Left Alive. I almost picked Catherine Deneuve in The Hunger. There are like some great options here, but ultimately I picked a vampire that I didn't want to be deeply intimidated by for the rest of my life. And this is uh, James Marsters' Spike from Buffy Vampire Slayer. On the surface, Spike is an incredibly cool vampire, modeled after uh, Billy Idol. But underneath, Spike is a complete and utter dork, which is something that I find appealing for eternal, uh, eternal life. You can enjoy poetry together. You can enjoy soap operas together. 
there's a lot there's a lot going on under the surface with Spike. So it's got to be Spike from Buffy Vampire Slayer for me. Ooh, also under time. Ooh. All right. For my choice, I would like to offer up the dark goddess of both my dreams and my nightmares. <laughs> She's a vamp with 500 years of experience in the realm of seduction. Men's souls have pursued her through time and space and multiple generations. She lives on Staten Island, which used to not be as cool, but now that they have the first Amazon union, it's on the rise. (laughs) She's an exceptional vampire mentor, an all-time babe, and an unstoppable force of nature. She also comes with the added bonus of getting to hang out with her husband, her housemates, and a haunted doll inhabited by her own soul. She is Nadja of Antipaxos from the What We Do in the Shadows universe, my dearest love. Ooh, also excellently. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the haunted doll. I was going to ask you if that. I mean, that's a huge like pro column. Plus, okay, it's like oh, I get to hang out with a haunted doll as well. Wow. This is where we get to question each other. I think I'm going to ask Neil a little bit. I've you know watched lots of what we do in the shadows. Uh, What in terms of powers do you think you are going to benefit from? maybe more uh, so than Joanna and I with your vampire powers. Well, and, and see, this is this is the thing. This is a really great plot point in season one of What We Do in the Shadows on FX is Nadja not only turning Beanie Feldstein into a vampire, but assisting her in finding what inherent vampire skills she has. And I think that it's not about necessarily inheriting the powers that Nadja has. She's an excellent wall crawler. She's obviously a seductress of the highest order. (laughs) But having someone there who's experienced in helping me find what is, for my personality, the perfect vampire trait. I think being able to turn into a bat would be pretty cool, especially if I could just scream bat and fly away. (laughs) But I'm really in it for just the living forever thing. Because I've had this long, long had this fantasy, I guess, dream of being able to, you know, live to see what happens at the end of human civilization. I might get my wish, given the way we're going. But I also think it would be cool to just like, be around when the sun explodes. I think that would be cool. And I would love to have that experience with the household from the What We Do in the Shadows show. And I think Nadia is probably the the best pick of the four. Neil, um, here's another question I have for you. And I hate to besmirch any of my fellow Robinsons, but if you're going to bring all of the housemates of what we do in the shadows along with you, do you really think you can endure all of eternity with Colin Robinson from what we do in the shadows? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one just hopes that Colin Robinson has enough to do elsewhere, right? Like that he keeps finding terrible office jobs to go to every day. And you don't have to see Colin around the house. You know, I'm I'm there to hang out with Nandor. I'm there for supporting Nadja and Laszlo and the doll. And, you know, I could hang with Colin Robinson a little bit. I mean, I feel like I've met enough Colin Robinsons in my life. The the energy and emotional vampire genre of human that I could probably make it work. Colin Robinson was what made me revise my definition of vampire not needing to be sexy because I think Colin Robinson still falls under a vampire. Yeah. If if Neil had picked Colin Robinson, I would have been very interested in his argument. Here's here's <laughs> another question. Uh Neil, do you think Vampire Hunter Guillermo might kill you out of envy over the fact that you got turned before he did? 
I think it's possible, especially because at that point I would be at least second or third on the list of people that Nadja has turned in the run of that show. So I would be worried about Guillermo. But here's another advantage. Once I'm a vampire, who's to say that I can't give Guillermo what he's always wanted? Oh, I Who's to that say that you. I can't be the one <laughs> to turn Guillermo into not only a vampire hunter, but an actual vampire? Something I really like about the choices that Neil and I have made is that like our vampires are essentially, especially if you're talking about Spike after he has his uh, chip and implanted in his head, good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Are you going? Are you going to be turning small children into vampires along with Lestat? What are you going to be doing? I mean, Lestat just did that to impress his Louis. So if I'm the thrall that needs to be impressed. He could do whatever he wants. I'm in it for the selfishness. I think that I'm the one that picked a vampire that's sort of like unimposed in his world. I don't have to deal with the Slayer. I don't have to deal with swearwolves. Werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> I don't have to deal with any of these outside uh, forces. I mostly just have to deal with the fact that the vampire soul is ultimately as tortured as a human soul. Just because I'm going to be immortal doesn't mean I want to be immortal in a way that I'm like, absolutely. I do not want to see the sun explode, Neil. I I appreciate Mm. that for you. Mm. But I like if if (laughs) two years being inside has taught me anything, it's that I look forward to, you know, dying, being a part of a life, I think more so. And that's a good thing that the I think is represented by Anne Rice's take on vampires. Most of the time when they're looking for other vampires, they don't find it because those vampires either become super insular and depressed uh, and become, you know, per- Parisian theater troops or they off themselves and they just can't take aging into becoming a vampire that has like floaty powers or other things that are discussed in other books that uh, are not brought up in my specific reference material, so I don't think I'd use them. But I don't mind being a monster because my entire, once I've been sired, my entire perspective of what a monster is is going to shift to the vampire perspective. So am I tortured Will like it? Louis? I mean, Louis. Probably not. Louis, like, never felt comfortable being a vampire. No, but look at my facial hair. I'm already like poised to be much more evil just on the drop of a hat. A bunch of listeners just Google image searched you. It's true. You do already look like a vampire. But my my question, another question for you. If we're doing all eternity with these people, this is sort of like a a vampire wedding, right? For better or for worse? Yeah. Are you sticking with Louis once he's been like, I don't know, what does he feed off crocodiles in the swamps of... New Orleans crocodile. Oh yeah, Louis? you're talking about Lestat, not. <laughs> oh sorry, not crocodile Lestat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, anything to stay alive. But then he also comes back to find his progeny again. So like, interview with a vampire ends with Louis thinking he's done with Lestat, but Lestat's not done with Louis. So whether or not what I think, my sire has like a complete dedication to me, at least in his story universe, that I kind of find useful. He's not like in it to protect me from anything because, again, I'm not being hunted. He just needs a partner in eternity, which for him is like rock bands and cool outfits and sexy people coming over for wine, which seems like a great way for me to uh, lackadaisically spend my eternity until I get tired and walk into the sun. Did you say rock bands? Did you veer into Queen of the Damned territory with rock bands? Is that, is that what you're talking about here? I mean, he plays the piano and teaches himself how to play the violin just because 1994 is too early for him to join a rock band doesn't mean that character doesn't. But again, I don't want to use the entire Vampire Chronicles because I feel like that's antithetical to the debate. Just picking Tom Cruise version for right now. 
Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Joanna, how do you avoid the slayer? I would not go near Lestat. <laughs> um, how would I avoid the slayer by helping her? We're we're helping the slayer, not hurting the slayer. I, I mean, it's it's almost as if you haven't seen like the back four seasons of Buffy Vampire Slayer. We're friends, not foes. I mean, uh, fair enough. Here's the, here's my slayer. issue. Here's a main issue I had with Doctor Michael Morbius. Not to bring yes. uh, Jared Leto into all of this, but you know, anytime I watch a vampire show or TV or film, and and the vampire has a moral conflict over how they're going to get their blood, I just want to point out that vampires in the Buffy universe were doing fine with their like blood bank hookups, and they didn't have to drain people. So Spike and uh, you know Angel. They, you know, they were they were sucking on blood bags, not not on people. So I think that's that's fine for me. This is this is actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys, uh, because in this hypothetical, we all become vampires and we've seen many different types of solutions for the the vampire thirst in movies. Right. We have, you know, blood bank donors. We have Blade, I believe, was when they did the synthetic blood. Right. At mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. Doctor Dr. Dr. Blood Michael famously also has synthetic blood, right? Oh, and Doctor Morpheus, <laughs> or you have to go get it from live humans, which I'm told is the best source. So I'm curious as to what would you just be wantonly murdering humans in alleys and not thinking too much about it, or would you be like trying to make friends with someone who was willing to donate their blood once a week, um, or would you be like? In the lab, which I assume is where Dr. Michael Morbius spends a lot of his time, in the lab trying to invent <laughs> synthetic blood. Yeah, his blood is blue. It looks really disgusting and wow. chalky. Wow, no, um, it's a hard pass for me. <laughs> <laughs> There's also vampires who survive off like rats or, or you know, crocodiles or whatever. It's, it's sure. uh, not as fun. Yeah, no, I think I'm blood bank all the way. I really, I really think it would be fine. A suggestion I raised on uh, the Ringerverse episode that we did about Morbius, though, is that Maybe if we become vampires, we become like the Dexter vampires, where we just like feed off of serial killers? Question sure. mark. Bad people or billionaires? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, like legitimately bad people. <laughs> what's what's the point in being a monster if you don't get to like be a monster? We're like all in favor of being pro-human once we're vampires. I don't think that tracks. I mean, Neil and I are you. If uh, Dave, I'm not surprised <laughs> about the, the turn you want to take. <laughs> I just think that I wouldn't be as disaffected by the the human part of it, right? Like, even though you are no longer human, you become a member of the undead, I would still have empathy for humans. Like, I wouldn't kill people that I liked, especially when there are so many not great people. <laughs> That you could be. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel, I feel like also like it could be like a four H club thing, you know, where you raise a heifer that is specifically your heifer to eat it later on. Like, you know, that's your relationship to your food can be completely different. So, like, if I'm running interview with a vampire style, I don't have to fully drain everybody. Matter of fact, we look down on that. That creates bodies. We don't like that. We don't like kids hiding bodies. So you're only in favor of using the entire human body. So you're likening human, you're going to have a human farm. You're going to be the 4-H of humans raise, instead of heifers and sheep, you're raising humans to feed off of. Is that what you're saying? I mean, we could do that, but I think that's even more like uh, a different type. That's a blade plot that I don't think I'm really for. What I'm saying is that part of uh, living eternally through different 
time periods, part of the fun of it would be changing the hunt for each one of those parts of it. If you have some bad down years and you're having crocodiles in the Louisiana bayou, that's fine. But like in the late 18th century, you were like wine gobleting and frilly things and seducing men and women in dark corners with your thrall stare. That all sounds fun. I I would want to have more fun than you guys want to have if, if I became a vampire. I don't know. I'm saving the world, I think. So I'm doing fine. Yeah, I, I picked the vampire who throws the best orgies. So I feel like that's where I'm throwing my <laughs> I mean, fair, fair. Okay, so so Dave obviously is going the, uh, the like, frilly cuff and cravat uh, route for his future vampire look. Neil, what's your vampire look? Like, what are you wearing as a vampire? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it would be something more modern. 1998 era Kevin Smith. But definitely some Just leather. Just huge jersey. This is, this is something that uh, only some of the members of our Ringer audience are going to know what I'm referencing. The two of you, I highly doubt it. But this past weekend, I watched the Women's National Championship of Basketball. And they had a broadcast that was just Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. And it was great. It was like the Peyton and Eli broadcast. But Diana Taurasi had on this like leather jacket that I'm like, that's my vampire look. It was like this just very sleek, smooth leather jacket. She looked very comfortable yet stylish. So yeah, my my vampire outfit would be modeled after Diana Taurasi, a legendary women's basketball player. Yeah, I feel like I'm going full peroxide leather duster if I am like, you know, in it to win it with Spike for all eternity. Just mm-hmm. like, yeah. stuck I don't in the you, 80s. <laughs> Stay there. I don't necessarily think you have to match your sire no. because, you know, Nadja, Laszlo, they're very sort of, they've, they've acquired fashion over many centuries. And uh, sometimes it's a little too frilly for my taste. I would be a little bit more modern. But then again, I was born in a different era than they were. So I think that's it's more about when you were alive, when you were born and when you were turned than necessarily who turned you. I feel like you would start wearing a lot of hats, Neil, if you were oh, in maybe. that house. A lot of dramatic hats. A lot of dramatic hats. Ooh, dramatic hats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of, lot of guys- uh, thick-soled shoes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm, just get a yeah. couple more inches just to feel... You know, floaty. I don't know. You guys both picked a lot of animal skin to wear for people that are raiding blood banks, but you know, whatever. You know, maybe it's I different. mean, maybe it's pleather. They, they, <laughs> I'm going to live Final? well into the future where they're going to come up with all sorts of synthetic garments that will not require me to have to murder any animals. I'm still just kind of, I'm just stuck on bisexual dandy. It's really, it's really hard to like. <laughs> Move yeah. off bisexual dandy. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, it was a but. I mean, and also that describes pretty much the full character. Besides, I guess the other vampires call him the the brat prince in the books, which is also pretty good. What do you What do you do with a stat? Like on a given day, like what does your day with a stat look like? Wake up. Uh, I imagine it's sort of like a uh, talented Mister Ripley trying to fit into whatever society we happen to find ourselves in. Or potentially on the run from whatever society we were just in, because given a long enough time period of being a vampire, from what I could tell from Interview with the Vampire, you basically uh, fuck up all your spots, so you kind of have to be a little uh, nomadic, because vampires don't cluster, and when they do, they get weird. So I think it's a party of two, and you're just, you know, figuring stuff out. I I spend like a whole uh, week learning JavaScript if I wanted to, who cares? You know, I feel like I would spend a lot of time turning myself into like a James Bond vampire parachuting into weird situations, but like 
already knowing how to tango. Maybe a true lies vampire. I feel like that might be too much risk for me. I'm going to go to parties. I'm going to go to clubs. Going to hang out, you know, either in Staten Island. I might go visit New Zealand finally, but I'm not doing anything that's going to get me staked through the heart. Mm. So I guess that's another good point. I sort of feel like I wouldn't I yeah, make it till the sun is exploding. Sure. Your stuff sounds too dangerous for me, is what I'm saying. I mean, that's kind of the point. Uh, like if you're suddenly you take away like all sorts of physical harm. If I could get my throat slit and drink the blood of two dead little boys and still survive <laughs> at some point, I feel like that's you're really tough and you're tough to the point where you're not gonna die accidentally. But every once in a while, maybe you get judged for killing another vampire and, you know, chained up to see the sunrise. That, you know, I've, there's a lot of vampire fiction. One of the choices that we didn't talk about today because it's considered a spoiler, where sometimes meeting the sunrise is the most poetic part of your journey. Do we hear what the uh, listeners have to say about this? Let's, unless anybody else wants to include dying in their pitch or just leave that for me. <laughs> nope, everyone's shaking their head no. Let's check in with our <laughs> listeners. I'm going to pick our listener, Brent, who wrote in with this. Count Von Count from Sesame Street is the vampire most of us were first exposed to. He is visually the most traditional vampire on television, complete with fangs, monocle, and cape. He follows a lot of Eastern European mythology surrounding vampires. He lives in a kick-ass castle where none of the mirror shows reflection. In addition, vampires are known to have arithmomania, a mental disorder that compels someone to obsessively count things. For most vampires... This is a detriment. It is how potential victims escape. Someone's been watching the X-Files. I said that, not Brent. Back to Brent. However, my guy Count leans into his OCD and makes it part of his charm. So we get to know the basic about vampires and mathematics. What else could we want in a sire? How about this? Count is the only person on the street who actively dates. He's had several girlfriends over the years, including my favorite, Countess Darling Von Darling. So count along with me at home. <clears throat> One, classic vampire fashion. Two, adherence to vampire mythology. My accent's horrible. Three, education. Four, sensitive to mental disorders. Five, no bloodlust. I feel like that's important. Six, will help you get laid. Six, six reasons why Count Von Count is the best vampire sire you can imagine. Ha 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 ha. Thunderclap. Can you do that, uh, the Count uh, vampire laugh again? Ha 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 ha. No, no. Okay. Ah, ah, <laughs> yeah, ah, there it ah, is. That, that's, that's it. There the we one. go. That's the one. I just had to remember. There's, you know, <laughs> I'm bad at accents. All right. If you're sitting at home and you're like screaming at your listening device, where is the most important lust-filled representation? I'm here <laughs> to uh, represent Rachel. Rachel wrote in, in determining which vampire I would want to be started by, I come back to the same quasi-existential crisis feminists have been having for decades. If I had to be bitten... I don't want to be bitten inside by a vampire like Twilight's Edward, a bad guy who only thinks he's a bad guy because of what he is, but is really a bad guy because he's controlling and potentially abusive. I want to be sired by a vampire who acknowledges his own faults and has a redemption arc, not unlike other prestige TV bad boys, better contextualized as problematic faves by Joanna, such as Sawyer from Lost or Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. Therefore, I would choose True Blood's Eric Northman. While True Blood's Eric Northman initially pissed me off in terms of his desire 
to collect Sookie as another of his many trophies, and his obnoxious capitalistic nature, his loyalty to his maker, Godric, who he offers to die alongside, his commitment to his progeny, Pam, who he releases in order to spare her the trauma of his crimes, and his love for his human Nordic family pre-vampire days makes him the best of all worlds. He is a strong leader, but he views Pam as his partner in business, valuing her strengths and trusting her implicitly, both in business and personal matters. He is also calm and methodical, which I appreciate. Eric Northman, I just, I got to applaud Rachel here. Great pick. Mm. I, we could not do this without Eric Northman. So there you go. All right. Now it's time for me to choose one. And this one, uh, also for the people who are looking for some sexier vampire fare. Uh, this comes from Andrew. Andrew says, I would easily and irrevocably choose Celine from Underworld, as portrayed by Kate Beckinsale, to bite me and make me her vampire prodigy. As many characters often share certain traits with the actors portraying them, I can assume Celine has an IQ of 152. Wow, that's very specific. Unlike these intelligence prejudiced Hollywood producers, I would deeply love and appreciate Celine's lofty IQ. I would try my best to keep up with her staggering intellect, and I would rectify my inferior brain's shortcomings by devotedly cleaning her leather bodysuit without jeopardizing the oh-so-delicate material. Very thoughtful. I could not sleep well at night knowing that I am in service of a genuinely progressive thinker with the notable exception of bovine skin desecration, as we've discussed already. We would make a perfect team like Pinky in the Brain or Butch and Sundance if Sundance was a dimwit who <laughs> lived to clean Butch's chaps. Anyway, I forgot where I was going with this, but yeah, she's my pick. So there you have it. Celine. Celine. From Underworld. Uh, and her, uh, I'm sure, intense dry cleaning bills uh, with all those leather suits. Underworld, the second best Kate Beckinsale vampire movie uh, after Van Helsing. Oh, yeah, you like Van Helsing better than Underworld? <laughs> kidding. Was- We're going to get Shut some up. emails about that one. Um, <laughs> although, uh, okay, here's a question mm. that I think is uh, something we should discuss before we wrap this debate. How does your choice rank as a mentor of their progeny? I think the listener pick that Joanna read from Rachel is a really good example of someone who like is a very good mentor and takes their role seriously in ushering new vampires into the world. I think that's also very true of my choice, Nadja, because she we've not only seen her do it, but she also turned her lovely husband, Laszlo, and they've been together for several centuries. How does, and I think this is mostly for Dave, how do you think Lestat ranks <laughs> as a mentor for young vampires? Vampire daddy. What kind right. of vampire Probably daddy not is great. He? Probably not great. I mean, he, he's mostly allowing you to uh, learn by touching the stove, I guess, to use a parenting metaphor. Sure. But uh, like uh, the relationship that I have is modeled in my movie, which is like toxic as fuck, but I think is something that both people agreed to. Whether or not you agree that, you know, the consent was actually given by like Louis at the beginning as a part of what makes him such a depressing vampire and is like a crux in the story. I think uh, my eyes are wide open uh, that I might not be getting an Eric Northman level of commitment, but I am getting a obsessive level of commitment, which may be more binding than mm-hmm. a logical one. Alexander Sarsgaard, I got it. Okay. So first of all, as a, as a, as a specimen, Alexander mm-hmm. Sarsgaard 
in in True Blood is is a thing to be reckoned. It's really with, hard but, to argue against the scars guard. But uh, I also just want to say, in terms of that progeny debate, I almost picked Pam. Pam is a really cool vampire, and maybe the second best character on all of True Blood. And I think Eric is third, like behind Pam. Honestly, Pam is incredible, and so I think that is a really good argument for like how how this particular sire would treat their progeny. It's a really mm-hmm. good argument. I don't know. Has the Count Von Count ever turned someone that we know of, <laughs> Dave, on Sesame no, Street? No, I don't think so. I don't, is is Miguel I, safe from the Count Von Count? <laughs> I mean, again, this is, you know, affirmative consent turning, so we don't know for mm-hmm. sure, but I feel like that's what we have to say for the premise. My question is, do you become a Muppet? Ooh. Because that would flip every that would flip things for me. That would change the dynamic a little bit. I also do think you know we mentioned consent, and I'm trying to think of uh, out of all of these options we've discussed, which of these vampires would be most likely to gain affirmative consent before turning you into a vampire. The only one that's close is the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> Everyone else is making you a vampire in a dark alley uh, without you seeing them first. This goes back to like our our earlier debates we've had with Dave's about Muppets. But my question is, can a Muppet actually turn a like with the foam fangs or whatever the fangs are felt felt foam? What are what is a Muppet made of? Would they penetrate and change a human? Does that actually work? Hmm. I mean, I guess that's a good question. If but can we expand it to all the picks? Because if we can, it's invalid. Like if Tom Cruise bites me. Does he break the skin? Is that the sort of question we're asking? Oh, because they're it's it's an actor wearing fake fangs, basically. <laughs> oh, that all right, all right. Like if we're if we're maybe like the count just turns you into a Muppet, like some sort of body horror additional transforming thing. At least for my vampire, your body does kind of have to die before you're revampired. So maybe for the the count, the the human body dies and the Muppet man rises. Yeah, that definitely complicates uh, whether or not I would let Count turn me. Uh, I would need to know. I should know the answer to this, but if like if Blade turns you, are you also a Daywalker, or are you not? I think so, because this is the whole plot of the first movie that with enough of Blade's blood, you could, they could we turn all, any vampire into a Daywalker. We all fucked up. We should have picked Blade. Like, do we want to give up the day forever? <laughs> You're never going to see sunshine again. Until the last time when you die and you're a depressed vampire who's had all the sex he needs. Or if you just buy a television and watch the sunrise on TV. I'm going to be Spike's sire with a VR headset. (laughs) Listen, Spike is an indoor cat. And as an indoor cat, I really appreciate that myself. So. Well, plus, you know, he could just throw a, a coat, long coat over himself and dash in between uh, shady overcroppings, from my understanding. It's true. It's just some gentle smoking, some light scorching. It's fine. Everything will be fine. Of these three, uh, with love and respect to the Muppet, I think it's between Eric Northman and Celine. I'm actually a huge fan of the, of the Underworld movies. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're good, but they are great. So. Here's another question. This goes back to a discussion point we had earlier where I was entirely sure that Dave's whole plan for being a vampire is way too dangerous. Of these options, which of their lifestyles do you think is most likely to get you murdered by a vampire hunter? 
Because like that would That's be my point. that would be my hesitation towards someone like Celine is that she's great, but she's gonna want me to go on a bunch of adventures and kill a bunch of lichens, and that sounds like a good way to not live forever. Whereas like Eric Northman, he's basically just like a business owner. <laughs> So, he wants to like, run his club. He just wants oh. to like run his nightclub. That seems easier. The Count lives in the safest place in the known universe. He lives on Sesame Street. And, you know, I feel like I'm my choice, Nadja, fairly safe, except for the fact that a vampire hunter, a very skilled vampire hunter lives in the house. But if I can navigate the Guillermo thing, like I said, I've got a solution all planned out, then probably fine. But I feel like, again, Lestat is going to get you killed. Yeah, yeah. That's why I don't want to apply it to our choices as much as to narrow down the listener choices. But I like the idea is using that to narrow down the listener choices. Because you're right. If you're, if, if you're Celine, you're going to be fighting the war. You're going to be her partner because she sired you probably to do that. Or in this case, uh, cleaning off her bodysuit in between battles. Sure. Either way. But I really like the idea that Eric Northman, all drama aside... You'd just be hanging out at a club that is, you know, selling blood. It also solves the blood solution. It does solve the blood solution. uh, It's a pretty good one. So I think if Joanna is willing to kick out the Count and I'm willing to kick out Celine, that's going to leave us with Northman Mm -hmm. unless uh, someone else feels I've made a wrong decision there. No, I think think it's Eric. I think we we knew it was going to happen here. Yeah. Sarsgaard just has like twice the torso of any other human I've ever met as well. And that just seems like inherently vampiric. So, right. <laughs> I think of like um, back to the old Game of Thrones days when Weiss and Benioff, the creators of that show, would talk about uh, Jason Momoa and what it was like to be around Jason Momoa. And they always used to call him like a walking party. That's how I feel Eric Northman would be to hang out with. He's just a party that moves around. And uh, that's a pretty good party. I'm taller than my sire, so I do feel uh, a little <laughs> weird about that now that we're debating if that's important. But I, got, I definitely have a 5'7 sire in this, in this argument. Oh, well, at least uh, Tom Cruise is taller than uh, Count Von Kaut, so you got that going for sure. you. <laughs> that's true. If we're, if we're voting based on height, I haven't lost yet. Uh, or maybe, maybe I will. All right, so we are going to take our uh, listeners and narrow it down for the fourth spot to Rachel's pick of Eric Northman from True Blood. May we forever hold our peace because it's time for the final statements. Okay, for final statements, we go in the reverse order. Once again, you have a unrebutted, uninterrupted minute, which means this time Neil is starting us out with our closing statements. All right, there are a few things I would like to say here at the end. One. Now that we've emerged from the listener pick with a choice, I am the only one who has picked a woman vampire, in case that matters to you. Uh, It matters to me. I would also like to say that it's very clear that a vote for Dave is a vote for killing children, which I'm not super comfortable with. And then it's really just down to, you know, do do you like Joanna's pick or my pick better? And I'm going to leave that to you. It's a very personal choice. And I say... Vote for Nadja because she's the best. This really does come down to what you want to do for the rest of your all eternity. And Dave seems to want to murder children and wear dingy lace. And that's (laughs) not my my bag. I want to play kitten poker. 
and eat bugles and watch soap operas. And that's that's mostly what Spike likes to do. Also, I want to ally with the Slayer and save the world. But if push comes to shove, it should be noted that Spike has killed not one, but two Slayers in his lifetime. So he can protect you uh, if the vampire hunters come calling. Guys, these two people, fine podcasters though they are, and my friends for long periods of time, just want to have a boring eternity living by the exact same rules they live by now. Where's the fun in that? You want to go help the Slayer? Go help the Slayer. Neil, you want to hang out in a house full of like cool roommates? It seems like you already have that figured out, so I don't know what the, the plus is there. I'm saying let's embrace the vampire. Let's find the thing that takes you completely out of the realm of humanity so you don't even care about it anymore. You are all vampire. It's you and your sire to eternity in a toxic relationship where neither of you could actually kill each other. That sounds super interesting to me. And definitely the most flavor, which I think will make it the best vampire sire, uh, vampire Lestat, interview with the vampire. Uh, mic drop. Hey, I love going last. <laughs> uh, I, should, I should win more of these polls. And maybe I will this week because we have four options. We have Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We have Nadia from What We Do in the Shadows. We have Lestat from Interview with the Vampire. And we have Eric Northman from True Blood, you can find our poll for the best vampire sire on the ringer.com, on at ringer at Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find trial by content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. It'll be super fun, and we'll never have to debate vampire sires again, right? Right. That means we have to turn our eyes to the future uh, that we'll now be living in, because we'll all be immortal by next week by somebody's hand. <laughs> Neil... What will we be throwing into the trial by content arena next week? I am so excited that you asked, Dave, because next week, to honor our guy, Oscar Isaac, and all of the things he's trying in the Disney Plus series Moon Knight, we are going to be debating the worst accent in TV history. That means the rules are fairly simple. It must be an actor trying to pull off an accent poorly. And it must be from a television show in all of history. You can send your picks and a few sentences to support your pick to trialbycontent at gmail.com. And as always, you can submit suggestions for future trial by content topics via that same email address. If there's a great pop culture debate that you'd like us to settle, just send it on over. We've got a huge list that we're compiling. Yeah, we got a lot of recommendations from people. Thank you so much. And thanks for we got so many vampire suggestions this week. Thank you all for submitting. Please keep submitting. Uh, we lo- we love your we love your swings. All right, vote now, and we'll see you next week for worst accent. You can't pick me because it has to be from TV history. Good to know. This episode was produced by Carlos Jeroboga. 